Welcome to Kevin Connors Podcast. This series is on the Tabernacle of Moses, which is the topic of one of the first books that Kevin Connor wrote about. Visit kevinconnor.org for more details. All right, now, just before we move into our second session here, let me sort of explain. Uh, this this uh, would be looking on the, the uh, tabernacle from God's viewpoint. And uh, this is not our particular so We're going to start on one of the articles first in a moment. But the way God had the tribes, there were three tribes up, uh, up here, uh, if you get my direction now, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. And then three tribes, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali over here. And three tribes over here, Gad, Simeon, Reuben. Reuben. And then we have Moses and Aaron, the priesthood, closest to the tabernacle. And then we have Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. And then you have the four standards. And you see, as I said before, this is another reason you wouldn't understand a book of Revelation without this. Because in the book of Revelation, John sees uh, these four living creatures, a lion, an ox, a man, an eagle. They were the four standards. So we have uh, the man over here. Uh, the standard here for these three tribes, the eagle over here, standard for these three tribes, the lion of the tribe of Judah, standard for those three tribes, and the ox up there, the standard for there. So God actually sees the way that they, uh, the tribes were positioned, they were actually in the shape of a cross. Paul says, in the cross of Christ, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross. And then... Even the articles of furniture, if you drew a line from the altar here right through and across here, you'd have a cross. So, uh, I can't get into this, but this was four square, this was a double four square, and this was a double four square. And uh, as you go through the book of Revelation, it's through the cross that we end up in the four square city of God. You see, all these things, God had something of Christ in mind. So now, all we're going to have time for in our four Sundays is to do the articles of furniture. So we're going to look, first of all, at the brazen altar, or the altar of bronze, and then the brazen laver, and then the golden candlestick, or lampstand is a better translation there, then the table of showbread, then the altar of incense, and then the ark of the covenant. You have three places. Uh, the, the outer court, and in the outer court, we'll say this as we go through, but just to introduce it here, in the outer court, uh, everything pertained to brass. Then in here, all the, the structure was on silver sockets. So you move from the brass to the silver, and then all the furniture here pertained to gold. So God was very exacting, brass, silver, gold. All right, so I'd like you just to say, we're going to start on number one here. Down here we have the brazen, lay, uh, brazen altar or the bronze altar. Let's say the brazen altar. All right, number one. Next week, number two, we're going to look at the brazen laver. Everybody say that, brazen laver. And this is just for those who have had no teaching on this area. Then uh, I think the next week we have the golden lampstand. We'll say lampstand, golden lampstand. Then opposite that was the table of showbread, table of showbread. And then just before the veil was the golden altar of incense, golden altar of incense. Try again, golden altar. And then right within the most holy place within the veil was the Ark of the Covenant. 
All right, so what is the truth, the knowledge and truth that's hidden in the external form? That's what we want to look at. And uh, I, I think after this series, I think once you, you know, get, particularly for those who've had no teaching on this, uh, it comes a little bit more clear. As you read even the New Testament, you're going to constantly come across, like Jesus said, if you have a, uh, if you come to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you or you've got something uh, against your brother, what does he say? Go and be reconciled, then come to the altar and give your gift. And say, well, what are you talking about? See, we don't understand those things without this. All right, okay. Thank you, Kevin. Everybody ready? All right, so session number two. And, uh, and, and let me encourage, am I talking too fast? How many, because I was born in a hurry and <clears throat> mum wanted to get rid of me, I believe. Okay, this is the advanced class, okay. All right, so um, uh, as I often say, everybody won't get everything, but everybody should get something. Okay, some just get the funnies, that's all they're ready for, <laughs> but okay. All right, so our first article of furniture we're going to consider tonight, and we're only going back to the external form to try and discover the knowledge and truth that was in it. All right, so session number two, we've called this the altar of brass, or bronze, some translations say, but altar of brass, and this is the way of approach. So the main message in this first article of furniture is the altar of brass, the way of approach. All right, and that'll become more uh, evident as we go through. All right, introduction. Now, I have a fourfold approach and we're going to be doing this in connection with each of the articles of furniture. So our fourfold approach in consideration of each of the articles of furniture in the Tabernacle of Moses will be, if you want to number them somehow, number one, revelation, and then number two, construction, and then number three, interpretation, and number four, application. Okay, so that's going to be, the, that's going to be repetitious on the, all the articles of furniture, okay? Number one, revelation. Number two, construction. Number three, interpretation. And then number four, application. Uh, how, how can we apply it to us uh, practically? All right, now let's turn over to this first scripture here. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And uh, we'll read verse 14. John chapter 1 and verse 14. All right, now uh, it uh, says here, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Note your words there. <clears throat> Pardon me. The Word became flesh and dwelt. The word dwelt there in the Greek simply means He tabernacled among us. He made His dwelling among us. So it's a foundational scripture. Christ was God's tabernacle. So the word became flesh, tabernacle among us, and note the next thing, we beheld his glory. And you see, on the Mount of Transfiguration, with Moses and Elijah and Peter, James and John, seven people there, the Father's voice, the Son, the manifestation of the Shekinah glory just burst through the body of Jesus. His, 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 his body, his raiment became white as light. That was the Shekinah glory in the, in the Word made flesh, who tabernacled among us. That's the picture. 
So the Word became flesh, tabernacle among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, back to our notes here. So all points, first of all, to Christ and then His church. We begin with the brazen altar, the altar of bronze, which was the first article of furniture in Israel approaching God in the most holy place, the brazen altar, the way approached. Now, I know I, you know, I emphasize these things, but you see, there's no way of approach. This is what God's going to get across to Israel and, and for us too. There's no way, no way of approach to God in the most holy place, in the very presence and Shekinah glory of God, unless you come through this, old, uh, this altar here. There's no sneaking under the fence, under the curtains here, or trying to push past the, uh, the first door here. There's no sneaking in. The only way of approach, God's going to get this across Israel, you have to come by way of the brazen altar, the way of blood. That's it. All right, now let's go to one scripture we're going to read on this part, because uh, we've got a lot of material to cover. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 27. As I mentioned in the first session, I'd like to encourage you to read the Scriptures and uh, just familiarize, familiarize yourself with the language of the, of the Word which we're speaking. Exodus chapter 27, and uh, we'll read just uh, verses 1 through to 8. Don't make any apology for reading the Word. <clears throat> Exodus 27 and verses 1 through to 8. You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. Now, now let me say this. I, I, I hope, hope you pick this up as I, I go through. You see, when, when Hebrews picks this up, Moses was faithful in all his house. This is his house, God's house. Tabernacle of Moses, tabernacle built by him. Every house is built by someone. So Moses built the tabernacle of the Lord, tabernacle of Moses. David built the tabernacle of David. Solomon built the temple of Solomon. So every house is built by someone. But he that built all things is God. He's the master architect. And, uh, and I don't feel I can overemphasize this enough, that God didn't leave anything to the mind or the imagination of Moses. He didn't say, Moses, look, God is love. I'm just bursting with love. So just build me a house. You can do what you like. Make it how you like. I'm happy to live in anything. He didn't leave one little bit to the mind and the imagination of Moses. And, and, and when it goes on in Hebrews, that passage we read, Moses was faithful in all his house. In all those little intricate details, I know God said, make the golden lamb stand this way. And I know he said, but I think this would be a better idea. But you see, we do that with the church. Oh, we know God said to have an Acts 2 church, but let's make the church our way. And we wonder why the glory of God doesn't return. It was only when everything was made according to the pattern and the blueprint that the glory of God filled the house. And see, I think I've mentioned this before, and as you can tell, you know, if you want, want me to tell you how I feel, I've got this article at home I found uh, in New Life many years ago, how to build a church without God. Now, the guy was not for it, but he went on. This is what's going on in Australia. And he just listed some of the ways we can build a church without God. I'd like to have the presence of God, wouldn't you? And build a church, see? And so... God, this is God's first house. 
and God's laying out the details for the furniture. He didn't say to Moses, do what you like, she'll be right, mate. None of that. Thank you, Kevin. (laughs) All right, back to the Bible. Verse 2, you shall make it its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be one uh, one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze, bronze or brass. Also, you shall make its pans to receive its ashes and its shovels and its basins and its forks and its fire pans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze, and on the network you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath, that the network may be midway or in the middle uh, up, up the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings, and the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow with boards, as it was shown you on the mountain, so shall uh, they make it. Pray God will bless his word. All right, now, go back to your notes here. So under letter A, number one, really, Revelation. So the Revelation was given to Moses in Mount Sinai, as I said. Nothing was left to the mind or the imagination of Moses. Everything was made according to the pattern showed to him in the mount. So we've got to keep that in mind. So God, God, God told Moses what to do, how he wanted the furniture. He just didn't leave it to man. All right, Exodus chapter 30, we'll come to that in due time. Under letter B, or number two, is construction, and in chapter 38, sometimes we read through these chapters and think, why is this so repeated? All right, the reason is in, in, in one passage, God gives the revelation of each of the articles of furniture, and then in the other passage of Scripture, it shows that Moses built according to the pattern that was shown to him. All right, so it's set in the tabernacle in the outer court, being the first article of approach to God. Now, let me say this. If we were doing this properly, and I think I've done this in the textbook on the tabernacle of Moses, when God began, he began, the first article of furniture made was the Ark of the Covenant. He begins with himself. He begins with his throne, with his glory. But we're going the other way. We're beginning with our approach to God, the brazen altar. So that's, that's the only re- reason, and because our time is uh, pretty limited here. All right, so all right, number C Interpretation. Now, just a few brief thoughts, and I'll try not to uh, go uh, through too fast. Uh, would encourage you to get the book if you want fuller, uh, uh, full of um, you know details on it. All right, number one, it's materials. Two basic materials: acacia wood, and briefly in the Hebrew, the thought of acacia wood is incorruptible wood, incorruptible wood, and it speaks of the incorruptible humanity of Christ. So, first of all, Christ then the church, Christ and the church. So acacia wood, incorruptible humanity of Christ. There was no sin in him, and the word was made flesh. The word in the beginning, the word uh, was with God, the word was God, and when the word God was made flesh, it speaks of the, uh, the acacia wood, his incorruptible humanity, the incorruptible humanity of Christ. Let it be the wood... In every case we'll find, except the golden lampstand, of course, was overlaid with brass. And let me just say it, and I'll try not to go too fast. Brass in the scripture is always symbolic of judgment. I'm going to give you two scriptures only, and as I, as I said, I've done this more fully. 
uh, in, the, in the text here. Let me, let me just say something here that will help us, hopefully. Everything in, in the court pertained to brass. The sockets were brass. The, uh, the, the capitals, the caps, the capitals on the pillars were brass. Uh, these two articles of furniture were made of brass. Everything pertained to brass. In here, all the boards were founded in the silver sockets, and the sockets were sockets of redemption from the people. Then all the articles of furniture, gold, gold, overlaid with gold, 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 uh, acacia wood overlaid with gold, emphasis. Now, let me just say those three things, and uh, I will repeat a little bit week by week, if you bear with me. Brass is always the symbol of judgment against sin. I'll just give you the thoughts first of all. Uh, I'll have to move reasonably fast. So brass, symbol of judgment against sin. Let me give you two scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28. And if I can read my writing in tongues. Uh, put down verses 15 to 23. So Deuteronomy 28 verses 15 to 23. And God said to Israel, If you disobey my word... The heavens over you will be as brass. Uh, I mean, I, I know I'm from the dark ages, but in the, in the generation I come from, when we had hard time praying, and we'd often say to people, how's your prayer life? Oh, the heavens are like brass. Anybody else ever use that expression? Am I that old? <laughs> okay, well, in our generation, yeah, the heavens are like brass. It was just hard going. And so brass. And then put down Numbers chapter 21, verses 6 to 9. Numbers 21, verse 6 to 9. Uh, when Israel sinned in the wilderness and they were murmuring against God, what did God do? He sent serpents who bit them. And how were they healed? God told Moses, lift up a serpent of brass upon a pole. And anybody who looks in faith to the bit of brass, yes, in obedience to the word, they were healed because brass was symbol of judgment against sin. It, it, we, just, we just don't have time. But uh, when, when John comes to the book of Revelation, I have to weave a bit of this in, um, uh, you, you, you will find the articles of furniture sort of superimposed in Christ. His face is shining as the sun, like the glory of the sun, the Shekinah glory. But his feet are as brass burning in a furnace because he's walking in the midst of the seven golden lampstand to judge sin in the church. How many things sin needs to be judged in the church today? Some of the things that my wife and I hear that are going on in the church. We need a revival of holiness. You see, the world never repents of sin till the church does. All right, so, and silver now, Silver is always the symbol of redemption. So, they, so when Peter takes it up, we are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the blood of Christ. So in the Old Testament, redemption, they all, all had to pay the silver. Gold always speaks of divinity or the divine nature, the glory of God. So brass, symbol of judgment against sin, silver, redemption, and then gold, the glory. So we begin with the brass. Our sin has to be judged. Then when our sin is judged, which it was on the cross, then we are redeemed. And then from redemption, we can go to the glory. Amen?
That's the picture we have. All right, uh, number two quickly, it's measurements. Four square, I can only give you brief thoughts on this. Four is the number of earth, and it's four square. So we, it speaks of that which is worldwide, and we think of the four corners of the earth, north, south, east, and west. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, preach the gospel beginning at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the earth. John sees the redeemed out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, nation. Many, many four. So four is the number of earth. Worldwide, uh, uh, redemption is possible through the altar of the cross. All right, it's height. Um, uh, we, we just have to skip some of this. Uh, put down five because it was four square, but it was five by five by five. And five is the number of grace. Jesus received five wounds on the altar of the cross. I'm using my words carefully here. So five wounds on the altar of the cross. So four, the number of earth. Five, the number of grace. Its height is three. And what is three the number of? God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved in our redemption. You see, this article was the only place of atonement, only place of redemption, maybe more exactly, only place of redemption. There was no sacrifice in here. The blood was taken from here to there, but this was the only place of sacrifice. It points to the cross. All right, so height. All right, number three, it's great. The great, just, just brief thoughts here, the grate was in the middle of the altar. I, I, I hope this doesn't sound stupid to you, but uh, if the altar was three cubits high and the grate was one and a half cubits high, that is the same height as the table and the Ark of the Covenant. One and a half cubits, one and a half cubits, one and a half cubits. Because it's through the blood only we come to the table and to the mercy seat. But the, the, the main purpose in the, in the grade was to uphold the sacrifice. And it points to the cross. The cross upheld the body of Jesus. So the great. Number four, it's horns. Horns always speak of power. Power of the animal. Again, four horns. And we think of the power of the gospel to the earth, the whole earth. It's horns. Think of the... Animal and its horns, it's a power. But here it's the power of God, the power of the gospel. Just put down Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. It's horns. Number five, it's rings and poles. These are for the journey in the wilderness. And so... Israel had no continuing city in the wilderness. They were pilgrims and strangers in the earth. So the rings and poles point to that. They are pilgrims and strangers in the earth. Journey in the wilderness. Number six, the vessels. There were five vessels there. And as we read in that passage, vessels were taking, like the taking away of the ashes, uh, ordering the sacrifice, the way the Lord wanted and so forth. So five utensils versus used. All right, number seven. Uh, this part is very important. Uh, Exodus chapter 40 and verse 6. It's position. Now, I think I may have said enough on this, but 
but I don't feel I can overemphasize this. Its position is right at the court gate, and it's the first article of furniture that any Israelite who wanted to approach God, it's the first article. That's it. That's the message. First thing. No way of approach to God unless you come by way of the altar. And it was set there. So it's the most, first most important article to man. Why don't you put down John chapter 14, verse 1. We could say this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And I've said this before, and it might be a shock statement, but you see, even as Christians, we cannot go to God direct. That's why we always say, Father, I come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we used to sing the good old song, I come to the Father through Jesus the Son. So it's the first article of furniture. Every Israelite has to touch it. There's no way of approach. Number eight, number eight, it's covering. If you go back to Numbers chapter 60, we won't do it, just uh, watching our time here. I'd like you, like you to read the scriptures that we don't cover. Number 16, we find that there was a, uh, a rebel group, Korah and company, who rose up against Aaron as the high priest and said, look, we're all equal. Some are more equal than others. We're all equal. We're all holy, and we're just as good as you. Why do you, you Moses and Aaron, take this upon you and set yourself up? And so God just come on the scene and said, okay, you get your senses. So all these 250 rebel leaders, and the problem is they were leaders. They took their senses of brass, and you see, polished brass is the imitation of gold. See, it was a golden censer in there, not a brazen censer. So they came with their brazen censers, say, look, we're all priests, we're as good as Aaron, and Aaron was God's anointed and appointed high priest. And God just came in and zapped them. The earth swallowed them up. And so God said, okay, Moses, I want you to take all those brazen censers, melt them down, and make a covering for the altar. Because when it was in its journey, uh, the covering, just to remind the Israel, nation of Israel, you cannot usurp God's appointed and anointed high priest. And you know, this is a lesson to all religions on the face of the earth. Because Jesus said, I am the way, not a way, the truth, not a truth, and the life, not a way of life. When I was in India a hundred years ago, uh, this Parsi lady said to me, Kevin, you, you Christians are so bigoted. You say Jesus Christ is the only way to God. We accept all the gods. I said, well, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. That excludes all others. You're so bigoted. I said, no, Jesus said that. Either he's the truth or the liar. And you see, all religions, it's a strong statement, but we, uh, I think playing church is over. Amen. Just got to say it like it is. All religions who go and pray to God direct or try to bypass Jesus Christ, they'll never do it. I am the way. No man comes under the Father but by me. Jesus said that. Thank you, Kevin, for that very good point. <laughs> he ever lives to make intercession for them that come unto God by him. Okay? So the covering, where are we up to here? It's divine fire. Okay, I'll just have to say this uh, Briefly, I want to get to the application here. Uh, the divine fire, let's say it. When, when everything was built according to the pattern, showed to Moses in the mount, 
what happened, the, the, the glory of God, the, the, the cloud of glory that was on the Mount Sinai, left there and came and dwelt over the bloodstained mercy seat here of the Ark of the Covenant. And from that glory came the fire. I'm using my words carefully here. It was out from the glory of God that the fire came and consumed that altar, consumed the sacrifice and the altar. No glory, no fire. The fire is in the glory of God. So when God says he wants the whole earth to be filled with his glory and wants to put his glory in the church, unto him be glory in the church, from that glory comes fire. That's, that's what we're talking about. So the divine fire. And if you read those scriptures, divine sovereignty and human responsibility. You might like to put that thought down. The fire was divinely lit, but humanly kept going. Because God said, you are to burn wood morning and evening, and the fire is never to go out. How many have a fire inside of you? A few of us? Hey, there's a fire. I've still got a fire. Even though I'm 100 years old, there's a fire still here burning. And our response to it, and how do you do that? Prayer, seeking God, reading the word. Keep the fire burning, divinely, sovereignly lit, but your responsibility. And then number 10, what's the purpose of the altar? Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. The key verse to this, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. And he says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. Here it is. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Everybody say that with me. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So the whole purpose of it, the bloodshed, was atonement. No way of approach to God without the atonement. All right, letter D. Application, and uh, I encourage you to read the scriptures. Letter D, application. First of all, to Christ. All, for, first of all, points to the Christ of God and his sacrificial death for us. All former altars spoke the same message. And you find all the patriarchs right through, right through the Bible. This was the first most important article in relation to man's approach to God. Abel implied, by faith Abel I offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Noah, first specific mention of altar in the Bible. Genesis 8.20, Noah built an altar to the Lord. First specific mention. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Uh, the trinity of men, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, trinity of men, they built an altar to the Lord, called on the name of the Lord, worshipped the Lord. They were men of the altar. Uh, Moses, here, he builds this altar. Solomon, when he uh, dedicated the temple, he built this massive altar. And so what's the, what's, the, what's the interpretation? Go over to Hebrews 13 and verse 10 quickly. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 10, and he says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. And when, when the book of Hebrews was written, the temple was still standing, and the Aaronic and Levitical priesthood were still carrying on the abominable sacrifices. But Paul says, or the writer of the Hebrews anyway, We have an altar, and our altar is the cross. The cross of Jesus is the altar. You might like to make a note of this. I've put it in, in inverted commas there. The very Hebrew meaning of the word altar means that lifted up. 
that lifted up, that lifted up. Now, see, it doesn't mean much to us in Western thinking, but when you find in, uh, in the Gospel of John, why don't you put, well, just put down two scriptures at least. John chapter 12, verses 31 to 34. John 12, verse 31 to 34. And John 3, verses 14 and 15. John 12, verses 31 to 34, and John 3, verse 14 to 15. As you go through the Gospel of John, and I never realized this for a long time, Jesus often used this expression, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And then uh, later on in John 12 said, uh, you'll know this when the Son of Man is lifted up. And they said, well, who is this Son of Man? What's this lifting up you're talking about? Because they knew what lifting up meant. It was the altar. And so when the sacrifice was lifted up on the altar, so Jesus was going to be lifted up and he would become the great magnet, the drawing power. If I be lifted up from the earth, not mixed with the earth, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll be the great magnet. I will draw all men to me. Amen? Let's lift up Jesus. So back to our note. He is the fulfillment of all sacrifices offered from Abel down to the last animal sacrifice at the time of the rending of the veil of the temple. His sacrifice, hallelujah, is once and for all. All right, so first of all, it, it, it applies to Christ. So many thoughts you could say. Judge, he was judged for our sin. He was lifted up on the cross, the great. The fire of God burnt his sacrifice as a consuming sacrifice, as he presented himself a living sacrifice. His blood was shed. Oh, I mean, all, all those holy thoughts flood into your mind as you meditate on Jesus being our altar and the cross. Can you say amen? How many feel like worshipping the Lord? I just worship and thank you, Jesus, for the cross. All right, now some fill-ins. All right, to Christians. Le Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 to 14. I've read the main part there. Without the shed, uh, no, the, uh, the life is in the blood. And I have given the blood as an atonement for the soul. The life is in the blood, blood atonement for the soul. Exodus chapter 12. What does he say at the feast of Passover? A brief quote here. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Not when I see the body, but when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And every house that didn't have the blood on the lintels and the side posts, death struck. But where the blood was, death had already taken place on the firstborn lamb. Matthew 26. And you see, because we think, we read the Bible with a Western mind, we miss so much. But we have to think Eastern. So when Jesus instituted the table and he took the bread and he took the cup and said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant. Their minds were just saturated with the whole concept of body and blood, body and blood. For 1,500 years, body and blood, thousands upon thousands of sacrifices had been offered there, the body and blood. And now Jesus is saying, this bread is my body, this cup is my blood. Wow, awesome. And when he said that, he obligated himself to die. And also he testified 
No more acceptation of animal bodies or animal blood. And we appreciate the body and blood of Jesus. It makes the communion table more meaningful to us. All right, some fill-ins for you. The blood of Jesus. Number one, the blood of Jesus cleanses from sin. How many believe the blood of Jesus covers our sin? Hands up. How many don't believe that? Hands up. How many still haven't got a hand and got a lying spirit? Hands up. All right, no. The blood of Jesus doesn't cover sin. It cleanses. Animal blood could not cleanse sin. It could cover it. So all the animal blood from Abel's sacrifice right down to the last animal sacrifice, it covered sin, but it never cleansed it. The blood of Jesus doesn't cover sin. Hallelujah. It cleanses us. That's worth a hallelujah. All right, number two, the blood of Jesus justifies. I've given you the scriptures there. It justifies us. So the blood cleanses us. These are the benefits of the blood. It justifies. Number three, uh, the blood of Jesus redeems us. Seeing we have redemption through his blood. Redeems us. Ephesians 1, 7. Number four, the blood of Jesus reconciles us to God. So it reconciles. The blood of reconciliation. I've given you Matthew 5. If you come to the altar and you know you've got something against your brother or your brother's got something, go reconcile, be, uh, be reconciled to your brother, then come to the altar. All right, so uh, reconcile. Number five, the blood of Jesus purges. It expunges our conscience. It purges the conscience. Cleanses the conscience. Number six, the blood of Jesus sanctifies. We are sanctified by the offering of the body and blood of Jesus. It sanctifies, sanctified through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Number seven, you doing okay? The blood of Jesus provides peace. We have peace through the blood of the cross. Uh, I think uh, we did this in, in doctrine, but you, you just think of this, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the uh, five offerings, the peace offering, the burnt offering, the trespass offering, and so forth. One of the most peculiar offerings was in the peace offering, and in the peace offering, the, uh, the, the, the sacrifice was divided in certain areas, and then the breast and the shoulder was given to the priest. And so the priest was to take the breast and wave it before the Lord. It was a wave offering, and Hebrew means to go to and fro. And then the shoulder, it was to be heave. It was a heave offering, and it means to go up and down. And you know, in the peace offering, he actually did the sign of the cross. And Paul says we have peace through the blood of the cross. You see, maybe they never, maybe the priest thought, what am I doing this for? Why does God want me to do that? Well, Paul tells us. Hallelujah. All right, where are we up to? Eight. Uh, number eight, okay, it provides access. We have access to the Father through the Son by one Spirit, through the blood. Number nine, it provides eternal life. Except ye eat my blood and drink, uh, eat my body, uh, my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you, so it provides eternal life. Three words there. And then number 10, 
we have victory. They overcome Satan, how? By the blood of the Lamb. So victory through the blood, Revelation chapter 12, 111. Now, just for our last few moments here, please, please take this kindly. I know I come across pretty strong, but at my age, I'm allowed to. Victory, yes, victory. Where did I put that good thought down? Put down, uh, I didn't even put down the scripture. Put down, I think it's First Kings. Just a moment, let's see if I can find it. All right, it's in Kings somewhere. It's just a sort of last thought. There was a, Oh, it's 2 Kings chapter 16. Just put down the chapter. Read it between now and the second coming. Okay, uh, 2 Kings chapter 16. There was a wicked king by the name of King Ahaz. And what does he do? He goes for a visit to Assyria, the king of Assyria, uh, Tiglath-Pileser. I had a name like that. I changed it Kevin anyway. And what does he do? He sees the Assyrian altar. And he says to his high priest there, I want you to go and get a picture of that altar and make me an altar like that. So the priest does that. And what does he do? This is, a, this is what I'm leading to. When he gets that done, he pushes... This is when the Temple of Solomon is there now. He pushes aside the brazen altar and says, put that aside and put my altar that I've made like the one in Assyria, stick it right here for me to minister at. So he pushed aside God's altar and stuck his own altar there. Now listen to some of the statements that I've heard with my own ears over the years. And I believe there's a real attack. I don't know what, I tried to get a nice word. A real attack against the truth of the blood of Jesus. Listen to some statements I wrote down. And I've heard these with my own little pink ears. One minister, he said, I don't believe in this slaughterhouse religion. Oh. And this minister, when I was pastoring in Bendigo 100 years ago too, he said, I'm not saved by the blood of any man. He told his congregation that. Well, if he's not saved by the blood of any man, he's not saved. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Listen to what this guy, I'm talking to a man face to face and I asked him what he thought, this was in another religion, in Christendom, not Christianity. And I said, what do you think about the blood of Jesus? He said, his blood's no better than my blood. Hey, just, just, just put these seed thoughts down I had. You see, when you follow the theme of blood through the Bible, we have three main sources of blood. We have animal blood, we have human blood, and then we have the blood of Jesus, which in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, is called the blood of God. So which blood has the most value? Animal blood, that was shed for years. Human blood, and God puts a price on that, or the blood of Jesus. Did you know that the only blood in the universe, when Jesus come back the second time, will be the blood of Jesus because his blood was sinless.
and incorruptible. See, our blood is the source of sin, sickness, disease, and death. The blood of Jesus. Here's another minister, Pentecostal minister, who tells his people at the communion table, I'm not going to preach anymore about the death of Jesus, and I'm never going to sing that old song, the old rugged cross. That's all negative. I believe in a positive gospel. So, dum-dum, there'd be no resurrection apart from the death of Jesus. Eh? And then preachers are discussing this. Should we stop talking about the blood of Jesus in our meetings? It's sort of an insult to intelligent people of this generation. Let's talk about the wonderful life of Christ. Hey, it's not his life that saves us. It's his death that saves us. So what is this? It's just religious people, and so I just say some Pentecostals, who are creating their own little nice altar with a little fluorescent cross on it that looks nice. Don't mention the blood, because that's an insult to people's mind. Well, God said, it's all there. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. The blood is the atonement for the soul. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Did you know one great de demon nation, denomination, demon nation, what do you say? Uh, years ago, you, you can tell how old I am, they tried to cleanse their hymn book of every hymn of John Wesley that had the blood in it. And it just about destroyed their hymn book. Are you people that young? You all look so young to me. Hey, this, this, yeah, this is what happened. And they found that Nelly destroyed their hymn book because most of those hymns were written by John and Charles Wesley who believed in the blood. Amen. Hallelujah. You see, the life is in the blood. And when you take the blood out, you take the life out. That's why hymns are so dead, not because the hymn is wrong, but how can dead people, religious... Oh, thank you, Kevin. How, how can people who are dead in trespasses and sins sing a living hymn? The Bible has a scarlet thread through it. When Rahab hung that scarlet thread out, there's a scarlet thread that runs through this Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and it's the blood of Jesus. And you see, the reason this book is a live book is the life is in the blood. Take the blood! Out of the Bible, this is a dead book, like all the other religious books of man. I was just reading some of the agenda of some of the evil groups today. They said we're going to expunge from the scriptures all certain scriptures that we don't like so that we can offer our alternative lifestyle. My final thing. Let's turn over to First uh, John. Uh, you can put this. Oh, you've already got this scripture. You're doing all right? Okay, let's turn to First John for our last scripture. That's enough for tonight. All right, um, we'll go to First John chapter 1. And we'll pick up... Uh, Verse uh, 
verse 6 through to 10. And if you haven't already done it, I recommend that you write uh, circle, uh, depends on your translation too. One, two, three, four, five, six ifs. So verse 5 I'll pick up. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If, first if, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if, number two, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Three, if, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves the truth is not in us. Number four, if. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fifth, if. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a lie and his word is not in us. Sixth, if. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation, the atonement, for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. My last thought is this. Don't use the blood of Jesus as an excuse for sin. Now, I've had to deal with this over the years, where one man, he would tell lies, cheat in business, and when we faced him on some of these evil things, and people have gotten into him, well, the blood covers that. I remember dealing with some, well, I, I repent, the blood covers that. Doesn't matter what I do, the blood, no, 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 no. You cannot use the blood as an excuse for sin. I said this in doctrine, I say it again. The blood only works in the light. Walking in darkness negates the power of the blood. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. So as we're walking in the light day by day, moment by moment, present continuous tense, the Greek is, the blood is continually cleansing us from sin. How many enjoy just walking in the light and knowing that the blood is just cleansing? Let's all stand. How many feel you got something out of this tonight? Come back next week for this exciting episode. All right, let's lift our hands to the Lord and why don't you verbalize just our last moment here. Thank the Lord for his body and his blood, the altar of the cross. Thank you, Lord. You verbalize and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that Calvary is our altar. Thank you that there on the altar of the cross, your body and blood was sacrificed for our sin. You made cleansing and available. You made the way of approach to God possible. And we just humbly thank you for your sacrifice, that you took our judgment, our sin, the fire of God, you were forsaken of the Father, you became sin for us, and that we come to you tonight and thank you for the altar of Calvary. Help us, Lord, not just to have a head trip on what we're sharing, but may these truths be taken from our head down into our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that we'll walk in the light as you are in the light and people will know by our life that we're being with Jesus. Bless us as we go out into this week. May we be salt and light. We ask in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Three minutes and I'll finish. God bless you. See you next week.
We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information.